Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Kia ora koutou, no mai haere mai ki te huena o Pōneki AA on air. Um, welcome everybody to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on Air Wellington. Um, and I'll ask you to help me open the meeting with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned before, this is the Wellington Access Radio on air. Um, we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Um, my name is Victoria, and I am the chairperson of this meeting. Um, so... Today we have a bit of a hodgepodge in the studio. Um, we don't have a particular, normally on this um, show, we have a particular AA home group um, whose members will come along for the session. Um, we don't have that today, but we've got an all-stars, um, <laughs> it's a variety of people. Um, yeah, so um, because... Um, because, yeah, because we don't have a home group, it means we don't have a particular format. Um, but what I might do is read the preamble anyway. So if you'll just bear with. Um, so the AA preamble is often read um, at the beginning of meetings. And it goes as such. Sorry, Farno, just bear with me. Right, AA Preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Right, so now we'll just get into the sharing portion of the day. Um, so are you happy to go first? Okay, awesome. Um, so I will just ask um, Tim to go to share with us first today. Hi, my name's Tim, I'm an alcoholic. It's actually nice to be here on a Saturday morning, clean, sober in my right mind and... Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, my home group's a Tuesday in Wellington, and uh, I, I start my first drink. I was I was twelve, and um, it was the first time I felt alcohol. I'd been bailing hay all day, and someone gave me a, a large bottle of uh, Leopard Lager. Leopard Lager, <laughs> Leopard Lager, and. Um, I drank it all once because I was thirsty, and what happened then is I felt the effect of alcohol for the first time. And uh, what happened? I got this warmth come up from from um, within me, and then this calm. And the way I can describe it is that it fixed everything I didn't know was wrong with me. And then what was going on then is I I liked that, and I wanted more badly, which is a phenomenal craving. And I got drunk, really drunk. And I knew the next day when I woke up to lie about it. I knew. To wake up and say, oh, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Yet, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I am doing that at every available opportunity. And um, and then what was going on was uh, at, at school, you know, Carpety College. And uh, from then on, 
all through the week, all I'm thinking about is drinking on the weekend. You know, nothing else really mattered in my life. And uh, but the problem I had with being a, a, you know a drunk, and people were saying to me from very young, you know, from 15 probably, people were saying you shouldn't drink. And later people would tell me I was an alcoholic, but they were saying you should not drink. And uh, the problem I had is I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I did not want to be like my father. And um, so I got in a lot of trouble young, and I was sent off to Australia. And um, I remember I couldn't wait to become a drug addict, you know, because I thought they were the two options I had, alcoholic or drug addict. And so I, you know, I was an intravenous heroin addict when I was first 17. And that sort of, the story I could tell is that that sort of, to mitigate my drinking, I, I did hard drugs. But the truth is, I just like how they make me feel. You know, I like that. And it did. It stopped me drinking. And, uh, or put a curve on it. But every time I drank, there would be problem. And there were periods of no drugs and drinking. And, you know, the next 23 years were just a descent into chaos. You know, I actually functioned quite well for a number of years. But in the, you know, by the time I was 40, it was over, you know. And, um, I was doing a home detention stretch. Someone gave me the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I read about the doctor's opinion, you know, the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession. And, and it sort of all clicked in. And, uh, you know, I, I went to AA and I did it all right for five years as best I could. And then I started getting away from it. You know, rigorous honesty went out the window. And I had, uh, you know, I didn't know it when I picked up that first one. I had another f- five years of... And thing, unexpected things happening that I never thought could happen to me. You know, I ended up in prison a couple of times. I, I ended up in a rehab. And, um, yeah, I ended up in a rehab thinking I was better than everyone there. You know, I showed up there talking to myself in bare feet and, and thinking I was better. And um, and, and then just going, you know, brief, short periods of sobriety where I'd sort of throw myself into AA, but not really. And uh, the, the big thing I hadn't done is, you know, completely give myself and uh, what happened was I actually got sober on a Sunday and uh, I'd been awake, I'd been up for five days, I'd been going hard out and my world it was just imploded and the very bad things are coming for me very soon. You know, there'd be a warrant out for my arrest if I didn't make right what I'd done wrong and it was not good that Sunday morning. I just, whew, you know, I just remember standing there and what do you do, you know, and I phoned an AA guy, you know, I phoned Neil H., and I don't know, I, I just said, look, this. I didn't actually want anything from him. I just didn't want to be alone with how I was feeling because it was the end of the world. And uh, it was, and I needed money. You know, I needed quite a lot of money. And for some reason, he said, yes, I can help you with that. <laughs> and that just, the world sort of, all of a sudden, I was like, shit, okay, I'm not going to jail by the end of the week and these people aren't going to kill me. And I thought, I didn't think I'd ever be able to stay sober again. You know, And I thought, you know, he's done this, and I'll, I'll be able to get three or four days, which is all I seem to be able to manage. And, uh, you know, I got very sick. He came out on the third day, and we went to a meeting. And uh, all I did, I went to AA every day. You know, I just went to AA every day, and then things got better quickly, um, really quickly. Never quicker than I could handle. And um, and I just go to AA. Just, I don't think about AA. I just go and I do the things. I don't put any thought, uh, as little thought as I can put into it, the better. And what I've figured out is in AA, two things you need. You need a desire to stop drinking and an imagination. You have to believe that this can work for you. That's really important. But I couldn't on that Sunday. I couldn't see it. And this other guy, Neil H., 
he believed for me because he'd seen me do it before and he had absolute certainty that I can have continuous sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and so I just, I just kept going, kept doing the things and I don't muck about, you know, I, I do it all, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I, I accept spiritual help and I, that's, that was the part that was lacking, you know, um, step 11 stuff and, uh, you know, and today when I wake up, I'm Tim the AA guy and if I just do that one day at a time, everything falls into place and nothing really matters. Not just nothing much matters, I don't matter, I'm a part of a greater thing and that's very important for a, you know, an egomaniac like me, you know, you know, a narcissist with empathy. But um, yeah, so I'll leave it there. I think that's perfect six minutes. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Um, and just a reminder, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Um, we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Um, if you or someone you know can relate to what's been shared in the meeting today and you're wanting to reach out, um, in New Zealand it's www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. Um, there you can find up-to-date meetings lists um, which tell you about 8am meetings throughout the country you can go to. I would highly recommend going to the website just because um, some meetings are still online. Um, some meetings require a vaccine pass, so it's good to just check before you turn up. Um, and also we have the 0800 number, 0800 AA Works. Um, so that has a sober alcoholic on the other end of it, 24 hours a day, um, and that's also available throughout the country. Awesome. Um, so now I'll ask Gordon to share, please. Yeah, my name's Gordon, an alcoholic. Peter Gordon. Yeah, I've got a, a pretty stellar drinking career. It started off very early, but in my in my youth, I'm not going to give a, a drunkalog today because we've all got our drinking stories to tell. I'm probably going to talk more about the recovery process. I got into AA probably about 12 years ago, probably at a request of a friend that I should probably give up drinking. Uh, she suggested that. Uh, at some point, I have two daughters. At some point in time, I may want to, may, may wish to walk, walk my daughters down the aisle, and the last thing they would want is a drunk father on the on uh, to walk them down that aisle. That's probably more her impressing her views on me rather than my my thinking. But I thought that's a that's a fairly sane idea to get myself start sobering up. So I went into an AA meeting the next day. And that was twelve years ago, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's been a long process going through AA. It took a long time for me to recover. I went to that first meeting. I could still taste the, the, the last Heineken I drank the night before. You know, It took a long time to get that flavor out of my mouth, and I never really wanted, I guess, to sober up, and I would go for a week or two weeks of not drinking, then I'd start drinking again. And I you know, I guess I went through a lot of rock, what people would consider rock bottoms. The, uh, you know, I had three failed marriages, broken relationships, <clears throat> lost jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But I just carried on partying like, like there's no tomorrow. I just hadn't hit my, that rock bottom that was actually going to force me to, to stop drinking <clears throat> until eventually I had a brush with the law. And that was it. That's the, the rock bottom I hit. So that was going to be you know, some fairly serious consequences. So I, I started off the, my sobriety up in Auckland, and uh, that was probably eight or nine years ago. And I had a couple of sponsors up there. Then I moved down to Wellington and got my, had another sponsor, a third sponsor down in Wellington. And he, was, he, he ran me through the steps fairly quickly. And one thing he did come up with, is, and I've kept that in the back of my mind all the time, was a, a, a prayer from the, the 11th step. And it says, you know, it was made up of the, of the 11th step. It says, Father God, today I ask, I ask for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry that out. Amen. And that has stuck in my mind and resonated with me throughout my recovery process. And along with the, um, the, 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 um, the serenity prayer, those are probably the two prayers that I say every day. I'm not, I'm not a Bible, and I'm not a big book thumper, and I'm not a particularly religious person. I don't go into church every day. I have gone to church. 
And I find keeping this uh, higher power in, my, in the back of my head or in my mind has helped me through this recovery process. Anyway, I managed to stay sober for two years. Uh, during those two years, I started to question the efficacy of, the, of, of AA meetings. I thought there was a bit of, you know, there was a bit of you know, self-flagellation going on. And my sponsor, after a year, he relapsed, you know, so I had really had nobody to, to turn to for help, you know, and I started, you know, I was traveling a lot overseas. And after two years, I, I, I did relapse, and it was like a, a hell of a fall from grace, you know, one minute I'm not drinking, the next minute it's just takeoff, and like blue touch paper from retire. I was overseas, I was drinking cheap, clear alcohol, strong alcohol, and I, and I couldn't get it down my throat as fast as possible. And for five years, I went on a, a, into, the alcoholic, into an alcoholic wilderness, you know, and after... Even after three years, I tried to sober up, and I, I managed to get 100 days. I tried to, I tried to get myself a, a sponsor, and he tried, he talked the talk, but he didn't walk the talk, and so he just told me to white-knuckle it, and so <laughs> white-knuckling for me didn't work. You know, after 100 days, I had a case where I sod it and carried on drinking, you know, and another two more years later on, and later on, I, you know, I hit another rock bottom. They were particularly used to go into the, uh, the, 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 what it was, but I got myself back into AA pretty, pretty, pretty quickly, and I got some uh, some uh, 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 therapy as well, so which helped a lot, you know. But this time, when I got into uh, into AA, this time I started going to Zoom meetings, and the Zoom meetings were up in Auckland. The one came out of Auckland, which was started at six thirty every morning, and it was, it was Zoom. It was Zoom into, into the world of the spirit steps ten and eleven, and they would start off with a little saying each morning, and, and one of the sayings that really resonated with me, and, and probably something I had to think about each day, I had to was uh, <clears throat> on awakening. Let's just think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And I was very much a morning drinker, so I had to, I had to think ahead what I was going to do that day because if I didn't, I was going to start drinking, that's for sure. I mean, I used to love the feel of the effect of a, of a slug of wine first thing in the morning, the back of your knees. It was a great feeling first thing in the morning. So I had to stop drinking first thing in the morning, and this really, this, this, uh, you know, this thinking ahead what I was going to do for the next twenty four hours really helped, and it helped me through probably the first six months of recovery as well. Mm -hmm. I was, I was harboring a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. I'd been through the, the, the therapy, and and the, the therapist that we broke through the first three steps with her, and she said one thing is handing your your your, your, your rubbish over to God. Step three, basically, and she said, you know. You got to get your higher power. Take hope, take the crap away from you, you know. And, I, and she said one thing that worked is let go, let God. Basically, you know, just throw your stuff away to to your higher power. Let, let, let him or her deal with 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 the crap you're dealing with. And I was the first six months harboring a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, and a lot of you know shouting at myself at the at the, the cars I was driving around, just just anger. And that helped a lot. That helped me get rid of the crap that was going in my head. <clears throat> and then. You know the therapy. The the uh, my sobriety is is almost up to five hundred days without a drink this time, and and I'm feeling really really great. I believe there's a higher power looking after me. A lot of things have been going right in my life in the last few months. There's a lot of things happening which I couldn't even wish for, which I haven't even prayed for. You know, I haven't been self-seeking. You know, and it's just the recovery process has just been day by day. It just gets better and better and better. You know. And, You've got to really want this, as Tim said. You've got to really want this to, for 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 for, to, for you know for you to recover. And I'm finding, you know, I'm just loving this recovery process. I go to four meetings a week. My my home group is a, a living sober on Friday. I enjoy the groups. I've chosen some good groups this time. That I, I guess because I, I've been in, in recovery for 12 years, there's some really familiar faces. People who've managed to meet, stay sober long, a lot longer than I have. 
And I feel, you know, a lot of gratitude towards the groups I'm with at the moment and a lot of support. And it's, uh, you know, seeing these people every day or seeing these people four times a day and the faces do change. has been a lot of help in my recovery. And, yeah, and I'm, as Tim said, it's great to be here on a Saturday to be sober, you know, not hungover, not resenting the world. And, you know, just happy to be here and happy to be sober. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. Um, so this is the Wellington um, Access Radio AA on air. We're broadcasting on 106.1 FM. Um, once again, if you or someone you know relates to what's been shared um, and you want to reach out to AA in New Zealand, there's a website which is www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz um, or we have the 0800 number, 0800 AA Works. Um, that's manned 24 hours a day. Um, if you want to reach out to us specifically, um, we do have a Facebook page. It's Wellington AA on air. Um, and we do check that from time to time. So it's nice to hear from you guys. Um, and yeah, oh, if you're overseas and you're listening, I would just suggest that Google is your friend if you're looking for a meeting in your area. Um, sometimes bigger places even have English speaking meetings. Um, so if you're in a big town overseas, I'd suggest, um, trying to look around for one of those. Okay. Um, now I'll ask Joel to share, please. Thank you, Victoria. <clears throat> Morena, everybody. My name's Joel. I'm an alcoholic. Good Joel. Joel. My home group is Sunday Reflections in Miramar, Sunday at six o'clock in the evening. And I've enjoyed this meeting. Um, I like coming here when I can. Not a lot, but it's, uh, I don't get to come here a lot, but I could today. And um, nice to bike around the bays on a beautiful Wellington sunny morning and uh, not have to carry a hangover or a headache with me or the remorse or guilt of the night before or... Yeah, just drifting, drifting. That's that's what I was when I was a drinker. Because like the previous sharers, I too found my elixir when I was 14 years of age. I uh, gave up on everything uh, apart from drinking. Drinking was something that I wanted to be good at. And I remember my father saying, um, Allens are good drinkers. I thought, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, hearing that at a young age from somebody you look up to, uh, you want to follow the footsteps and carry the tradition. And so I went out on, on my way to, um, to be a good drinker and I gave up on schoolwork. I failed at uh, my exams and I knew I was going to fail again. So I left and I uh, became a worker. I was earning good money, working hard, playing hard and being recruited into a sort of a working, partying uh, culture. Um, feeling grown up because I was with older guys and learning how to be a man and a good drinking man. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so <clears throat> alcohol, alcoholism, I don't know whether it started from the beginning or during, I don't know, but I became a problem drinker in my mid-teens, I suppose. We, even I had no blackout when I was 14 years of age. Um, I remember my first drink... I remember what it did to me, and I remember my last drink, and uh, everything else in between just caused all the damage. Uh, yeah, so I came to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 18 years of age. My friends encouraged me to go because I was always, yeah, I was just, I was somebody to be worried about. So I went, I went, and I wasn't convinced AA was for me, so I came back at the young age of 24 years of age, and I've stuck at it ever since. My family, I suppose, don't really know the, the seriousness of, of alcoholism or why I keep coming to AA, 
because I drank alone. I lived alone in my flat in the later years. So they didn't live in my house and they didn't live in my head. I know from my experience and from doing research, going to treatment and reading up about alcoholism that, yeah, I certainly fit the category. I, uh, yeah, that phenomenon of craving Tim was talking about. I had a relapse and in my journey I had to relapse to fully understand the nature of the phenomena of craving. Uh, the term that treatment called budding, building up to drinking and drugging and sobriety. Looking out for those pitfalls and tripwires in this sobriety have kept me from relapse. Uh, even I've got a long period of sobriety and even still my, my head plays tricks with me. It will say, you've been coming to AA for quite a while now. Is it time to maybe just have, have one or two of Christmas drinks you know, with, a, with a friend? Can I start drinking Heineken Zero beer that they're advertising now? You know, with the slogan, now you can. <laughs> uh, you know, all, all these tricks. <laughs> I'll keep away from it. I know it doesn't have alcohol in it, but I know that that budding nature, oh, well, if I can drink this, then because it'll be the weight of the bottle in my hand, it'll be the, the, the fizziness on the tongue, it'll be that. Um, that old pattern will uh, reconnect itself. I'm reading a book at the moment, um, and I've been watching some neon uh, uh, documentaries on, on the brain and how it works and how the neurons kind of make connections and pathways to create belief systems and that's what made it really hard for me when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to try and adopt this new way of thinking uh, because I did, I did think it was boring and, um, and hard work and it was easy to drink and get drunk um, so yeah, through, I suppose, reinforcement, positive reinforcement, self-hypnosis, whatever you want to call it, coming to meetings and, and, and hearing the message clearly, reminding myself why I need to be here, has created new pathways in, in, this, in this head of mine, um, which is good. Uh, yeah, alcohol, alcoholism, drinking caused a lot of damage. Uh, I nearly didn't bounce back from my my uh, last rock bottom and I certainly know that if I have another there won't be another rock bottom if I drink again I will not bounce back and I know that in the depth of my marrow uh, and I suppose that's the message from a higher power which I have come to uh, form a relationship with in my recovery and I have that instinctive belief that if I drink again I'm had it so yeah, I do what um, is suggested by the yeah the old comers, and uh, through my experience, I just keep coming back and um, keep the pump primed. So thank you, Victoria. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Joel. Um, and yeah, once again, if you're um, oh yeah, this is the Wellington Access Radio um, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. We're broadcasting on one hundred six point one FM. Um, if you or anyone you know can relate to the sharing um, and you want to look up AA in New Zealand, uh, you can find us at www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz um, and we have the 24-7 phone number 0800 AA Works. Um, if you're overseas, Google is your friend um, and I would look up meetings on there. Awesome. Um, so kia ora, I'm Victoria and I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard... You know, it's quite common to say I've heard what I needed to hear, but I, I always do, you know, and, and 
that's you know that's the beauty of this program um is sometimes I get a bit of God with skin on, you know, like I get um, help or serenity or um, guidance from other people, you know. Um, and sorry, I've been listening, so it means I haven't been thinking about what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, I haven't been sitting here plotting like, oh, that'll be funny or oh, that'll be that'll bring the house down. You know, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess just, you know, my experience, strength and hope. I mean, I've um I've been coming here for a few years now and um I mean I'm into this particular show, so I, I don't want to bore people with my story, but I guess um I you know, I started at fifteen and um, the first time I took a drink, I just had that warm spreading feeling and I wanted to chase that feeling, you know, and that's what it's all about for me is that alcohol, um, did something for me, which I couldn't do for myself. You know, it just, it just did all these things for me. It, it, it relaxed me. It made me confident. Um, it, it didn't matter what state I was in. It would always change it. Like it would always change the way that I was feeling. And it was like magic, you know, and I, I knew from the beginning, it wasn't like I was kind of a social normal drinker and then something changed from the beginning. I knew that I was different from other people. Like I just knew that the way that alcohol, I reacted to alcohol was different from other people. Um, and I knew that I straight away had a fear of not having enough, even though I'd just been, you know, I just had my first drink from then on when we went to parties and stuff. My friends would, we'd, I'd organize with my friends to get alcohol, but then I would get extra alcohol just for myself on the side and I'd hide it in my bag because I knew that I needed more than other people and I had a fear of not getting enough. Um, and that was at like 15 years old. Um, and yeah, I, I don't do anything by halves and I'm very efficient. Um, so I managed to get myself into rehab at 20. Um, I kind of crammed a couple of decades of drinking into five years. Um, and uh, when I was there, I, I, I wasn't very interested in learning much about the disease or I don't even think I was that interested in sobriety. But what it did was give me a few months of my head without alcohol. And it was miserable. It was hell because I didn't know how to live life on life's terms. So, you know, alcohol was like the anesthetic and it made everything OK for me. So to be, dry, you know, not not sober, but just dry, you know, to just not have alcohol to make things better and not know how to live my life. Um, it was very painful. And um, when I got back from rehab, I had a couple of weeks um, at home and my parents were kind of aghast because my behavior was just as bad, if not worse. And once again, it's just because I didn't know how to live life sober in a way that wasn't miserable. Um, so my behavior sucks. <laughs> and then... Um, one night I heard that one of the women I was in, um, I was down south with, um, had killed herself. And I just suddenly got, and just this big voice came to me and it said, that's going to be you if you don't find another way. And, um, sorry. Because um, I, I, I knew how to, I knew there were two ways for me at that time. There was going back to drinking and using and there was continuing to be so miserable that I had thought about killing myself. And I didn't, and I just, it was just the first time it had occurred to me that maybe there was a third way. And it was really scary because I had no idea what that third way was going to be or if it was going to work or what it was going to look like. 
But the next day I went to my first AA meeting. Uh, and, yeah, I, I still don't know why that happened to me. I still don't know why I was lucky enough to get this kind of divine providence and then go to a meeting and connect enough with it that I wanted to go back because not everyone gets that, you know, and, and I guess that's why I get emotional. It's because I just think of people who who weren't able to get that or who didn't get the opportunity to do that, you know, who um, um, didn't survive, you know, who didn't get to their first meeting, um, you know, and I, I know of some, yeah, I know of some people that that happened to. So I don't know why I was lucky, um, but I was. And I, I, I think it's good to talk about it. And remember it because it means that when my brain starts telling me like, oh, you don't need this or oh, you don't need to go to a meeting tonight, I can just remember that and remember that I'm very lucky to be here and I'm very grateful that I even got here. You know, no matter what's going on and no matter how I'm feeling, I've got this, you know, I'm alive and I've got sobriety and that's that's actually enough, you know, like I don't need all the other stuff. Um which can be kind of scary. Like this year I'm having to make a lot of changes in my life around, you know, um, study and work and where I'm living and, um, you know, meeting who I choose to spend my time with. And um, and it can all feel, it can all get really overwhelming, but I just have to keep it simple. Um, and that's the thing about this program is not only has it given me a third way, which is living life sober and not miserable which is great um, but it's also given me a way of living day to day um, that's bearable you know because I know if I if things get really unbearable drinking will seem like a good idea so I need to do the stuff I need to do to make sure that drinking seems ridiculous when I'm doing the steps on a daily basis drinking seems ridiculous it's like why would I do that that's the worst idea in the world only bad things come from it that's really stupid, you know. But if I stop doing the things I need to do and I get really uncomfortable, all of a sudden drinking starts to seem like a good idea. So that's that's kind of the way that I operate and it's it came from relapsing a couple of years ago. Like since the relapse, that's been my new thing is making, doing what I need to do so that drinking seems like a ridiculous idea. Um because yeah, because yeah, I, and it's good being in the same room as people who have relapsed. Because um, you know, sometimes if my ego gets in the way, I can start feeling really stink about it and feel like people, I don't know, feel like there's something wrong with my sobriety because I, you know, I don't know. I just, I just, I get um, insecure about it, you know. So it's nice to be in the same room, you know, hear that experience from other people as well who have relapsed and then um, come back and have really good sobriety now, you know, it's, it's really cool, really cool to hear about. Um, so I think I'll just finish there. Um, we, so that's the end of the sharing portion of the show. We have a little bit of time left. Um, so I think I might just do some readings if everyone's okay with that. Um, and then we will just finish up early. We'll just have a short recording today. Um, so sometimes um, at the beginning of meetings, we read um, how it works um, from the big book. So normally we do it at the beginning, but I think today we'll just do it at the end. Um, chapter 5, How It Works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not give themselves completely to the simple program. 
usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided to, you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness of our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was no until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which is suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and made direct and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim, we claim spiritual progress rather than p- spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if he was sought. Awesome. Um, so we'll finish up there today. Um, just a reminder, this is... You're listening to um, Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, um, and this has been the Alcoholics Anonymous Wellington meeting on air. Um, if you or anyone you know wants to get in contact with AA in New Zealand, you can go to the website www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz um, or call us on the 0800 number 0800 AA Works. Um, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, so you don't have to you know, necessarily identify as an alcoholic. Um, And if it's an open meeting, you don't have to identify as anything. You can just come along to the meeting and check it out. So um, this meeting closes with the serenity prayer, um, and I ask you to join me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference.
That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.